I wandered in sin's black night, and there was no way I could make my wrongs right. Then that old accuser to the Lord did cry, He is a sinner, and now he must die. And it's still the mud that saves from sin, it's still the blood that cleanses within, from the highest door in heaven to the depths of the sea, it is still the blood of Jesus that brings victory to me. There are those who rely on the works that they do. And some men count on the times they pray through. But when the battle's over and my last song is sung, I'll go home through the blood of my father's precious son. And it's still the blood. It saves from sin, and it's still the blood that cleanses within. From the highest star in heaven to the depths of the sea, it is still the blood of Jesus that brings victory to me. And it's still the blood that saves from sin, and it's still the blood that cleanses within, from the highest star in heaven to the depths of the sea. It is still the blood of Jesus that brings victory to me, from the highest star in heaven to the depths of the sea. The blood of Jesus that brings victory to me. All right. Well, amen. <clears throat> I still think they need me singing bass, but. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, boy, what are you going to do? I guess, man, that's, that's pretty good. I like that song, too. It's still the blood. Amen. It's still the blood. Well, take your Bible. Turn over to the book of 2 John, 2 John chapter 1. Second John chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. We're just going to look at one verse, really. And then we're going to use that as a springboard. We'll move along here from that point on, but... 2 John chapter 1, verse 8. Tonight, a big night for the youngsters that uh, completed their missions journey. We're excited about that. I hear there's a lot of whipped cream up there. Oh, yeah. Too bad some of you guys aren't going to get it, right? They're bumming right now. The teenagers are like whining and crying, wishing they could get some of the ice cream and all that whipped cream. But anyway, we got ice cream and all kind of toppings for you up there. Boy, I'll tell you what, it'll be worth all that effort you put in the Week of Missions Conference, and I think, uh, I think Brother Kavanaugh, myself, and Brother Josh will be serving you up there. We'll get you all taken care of. Boy, I can't wait to watch just dig in. Maybe somebody will try to eat it without a spoon. 
something like that. We'll see how that goes. Who knows? You never know what's going to happen with us in charge. <clears throat> but anyway, kids, be ready. We're going to have a good time. 2 John chapter 1, verse 8. <clears throat> the Bible says, Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Look not yourselves, look to yourselves, excuse me, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. <clears throat> if you would visit the haven of rest and speak to the men that are there, you'd find that there are some of them who weren't always homeless. They weren't always down and out. They, they're men really who, in some cases, and more than you'd even imagine, have earned college degrees. They had held good jobs. They owned homes. They had a wife. They had children at one point. Theirs was a life like yours. Theirs was a life like mine. But one day, something happened. For whatever reason, they <clears throat> made some bad choices, found themselves involved in vice, <clears throat> and ultimately their lives had spiraled out of control. What was once potentially or possibly a storybook life ended. And all that was left was a memory of what used to be. May I remind you that Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen. In the book of John, chapter 14, the Lord reminded his disciples of that when he told them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Yeah. Amen. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're reminded it that the Lord Jesus Christ again is coming back when he says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. See, this passage, as well as John chapter 14, looks to an event in the future. 2 John chapter 1, verse 8 looks to an event in the future. Not only is the return of Christ imminent, not only is it sure indeed, but following that return, there is a judgment that will take place. We are informed and we are instructed as to the nature of that event. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. It seems to me that <clears throat> 2 John 1.8 then 
is implying that a person could spend their entire life accumulating rewards only to forfeit a portion or potentially all of them in the end. I don't know about you, but that's a rather alarming thought. To think that we could spend our lifetime trying to accumulate rewards, trying to do everything the way we ought to, living according to the Word of God and pleasing Christ the best we know how, only to take a step in the wrong direction, make a decision to go another, uh, another uh, pathway, and the Lord Jesus Christ return, and we find ourselves standing at the judgment, having lost a full reward. You and I will never be homeless in eternity. But we can be spiritually broke and bankrupt. See, it's not what you've done before he returns, but what you're doing when he returns that matters most. Let me say that again. See, it's not what we have done before he returns but what you're doing when he returns, that's what matters most. Luke chapter 18, verse 8 says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? We're going to find that, and we do find often, that many can point to a, a time in the past when they used to serve God. They used to pray, they used to read, they used to study, they used to memorize the Word of God. They used to do all of those things. Then the question naturally arises, well, what are you doing now? What are you doing today? And sadly, the response is often heard very little, if anything, now. <clears throat> In his greeting to the Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul makes this statement in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. verses 2 and 3 says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Boy, those believers were busy about the Lord's business. The church at Thessalonica was doing something right at that point, or so it seems. And he says, he speaks of their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope. And he says, listen, ultimately it was well known throughout the region in 1 Thessalonians 1.7, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. These believers, these believers that were in samples these believers that were, were living the life that they ought to live, that were laboring in love, they were patient in hope, they weren't ceasing from their work of faith. They were examples, so to speak, in samples to those in Macedonia and Achaia. Do you know that God would have you and I to be in samples as well? He'd want us to do the same amongst our family, our friends, and our neighbors. See, this Christianity that we live is not some fly-by-night venture or faddish whim to try on in the dressing room of life. It's to be adorned daily. It's to be adorned continually. It's to be adorned faithfully. We're to put it on and keep it on. Don't just wear it when it's convenient. Don't just wear it when you want to. You need to wear it always. 
Unfortunately, many people, it seems, try Christianity on to see if it, well, will better their life. I mean, their real reason for being saved is to be rescued out of their troublesome life. To somehow deliver them out of a difficult situation, maybe. Instead of being rescued out of their troublesome life, though, they ought to be more worried about being saved from their sinful selves. That's really what we ought to be focused on. We're often anxious to improve our circumstances, but unwilling to improve ourselves. I mean, everybody wants their problems to go away, right? They just don't want to have to change. It's an amazing thing, you know, to watch people that are struggling and hurting and going through difficult situations, whether it's with their selves, their marriage, their families, their children, their jobs, their, their situation in any way. But then when they given it advice, they're very quick to say, well, you know, I understand that, but just tell me how to fix the problem. I don't want fixed. They won't say that. I don't want fixed. I just want you to tell me how to fix the problem. May I say that in most cases, we are the problem. <clears throat> when we are unwilling to improve ourselves, then we will remain bound in our situation. Circumstances can lead a person to self-examination and even scriptural salvation. However, when a, a person's only desire in taking Christ as their Lord and Savior is to escape the consequences of their sinful deeds with no, no intention whatsoever to forsake the, deeds, the, the very deeds themselves, we got a problem. When someone says, I want to come to Christ, and, and I do want saved from the consequence of sin, I just have no desire whatsoever to forsake the sin itself. My friend, you really need to examine your heart whether or not you meant business with Christ. We are saved from sin, not in sin. And you need to get away from it, and we need to be willing to turn from our sin. Someone says, oh, you're, you're preaching, uh, you're not preaching grace then. I'm just telling you this, our attitude ought to be one of repentance, of turning from our sin. Whatever happened to the idea that when you come to Christ, you realize he's your life now? Whatever happened with, uh, if I'm going to turn to the Lord, then, you know, it used to be people say, well, you know what, you got to get religion. I don't want religion right now. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. I don't have time nor the place for Jesus Christ. Nowadays, we, we kind of throw him on like a cheap coat. I'm not saying, listen, I don't know if somebody's saved or not, but I'll tell you this much. There is a problem when we come to Christ and we have no desire whatsoever in that moment to, 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 to repent or turn from our sinful lifestyle in any way, shape, or form. I understand you can't turn without Christ, but my friend, there ought to be a desire to turn to him. Amen. God did not come to earth to simply save your marriage. <clears throat> he didn't come to earth to restore your family. He really didn't come specifically to heal your body or better your life. He came to save your soul. Amen. He came to save mine. And without a doubt, the Christian life betters all facets of our lives. It makes life better. The Christian life is the best life. No doubt about it. But God's divine purpose in coming to earth 
was to provide us salvation and to restore us unto himself. See, my salvation is really all about him. It's for him I got saved. It wasn't for me. It's not just for my wife. That's not the issue. It wasn't for my my family. It's because he deserves that. He paid the awful price for my sin. I owe him that. I should give him myself because of the price he paid. And I did it for him. It's, it's, it's for Christ. I don't, we don't go to the mission field to see people saved. We go to the mission field because Christ deserves people to be saved. Because he paid an awful price. The goal is to bring men and women into fellowship with God because that's what God desires, not simply to win people to him. We say, well, I don't get what you're saying. I know, that's the problem. We don't often. We forgot who this is really all about. It's not about the heathen. It's about him. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not about Community Baptist Temple. It's about him. So he desires a relationship with you. And that's why he died for you. And that relationship and that outworking of it is what you and I will stand in judgment for one day. Again, 2 John 1.8 says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Don't give up doing right. Be consistent in your faith and your practice. Be right with God and be right with mankind. Be what you ought to be and do what you're supposed to do always. Read and study the word. Fellowship with Christ daily in prayer. Reach out to the world that's lost in sin. Be faithful to the end. Because there is a judgment coming. The judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to stand and give an account as his children for what we have done with what he has given us. In the Bible, we're introduced to a number of men and women who were faithful to the end. We could turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and we could read the chapter and we could come up with name after name after name of those who stood faithful. We often refer to chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews as the hall of faith. But because of time, I'm only going to mention just a few names tonight. A few standouts, if you will. That we might be encouraged tonight. That we too would stand. That we would finish strong, so to speak. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather tonight in this place. May our hearts be encouraged as we think about the fact, Lord, that time is short. We're not sure when you will return, but you will. When you return, there will be a judgment. We'll stand before you and give an account. Lord, we know that whether we uh, live to the very day we die or we live to the day you return, either way, we're going to stand and give an account. Lord, may we not lose those rewards which we have sought after, which we have accumulated. May we remain faithful to the very end. We'll thank you. We'll praise you. Now, Lord, give us leadership tonight and encourage us from your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
I think of Noah and the ark. We've often heard the account in Genesis chapter 6. Turn there, would you? Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. We're going to be in Genesis 6 for just a few moments here. But uh, we think about Noah and the ark. You want to talk about someone that was faithful. Uh, Boy, Noah was. Now, of course, we know that he was just a man, and he, I'm sure he made a few mistakes along the way, didn't he? But I want you to see what God has to say about him, and let's just see what the Bible says here and what he did for the Lord. It says in Genesis 6, 5 through 8, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only continually evil, uh, con- evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. Can I just say this? Sometimes we get the idea we live in the most wicked age ever. All I'm saying is, is that before we start, you know, playing the old violin, you know, how years ago, you know, people would say, oh, you know, you start complaining and then they're going to see that, you know what that is, you know, a mini violin and all that stuff, you know. Okay. But anyway, you know, uh, before we get to doing all that, we need to remember that this is not the only time in history when things got a little bit difficult. Man, I mean to tell you, it was real bad back then, so bad that it repented the Lord that he even made man. Can you imagine that? Notice what the Bible says, and it repented, verse 6, the Lord that he had, had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. He was sorry he even made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Man, of all the men on earth, of all the people that had had disappointed God, Noah found grace in his sight. God provided Noah with the blueprints of an ark. An ark that would safely deliver him through the greatest and most powerful storm that would ever be experienced on earth. And in Genesis chapter 6, verse 14, the Bible says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. Make it up. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a, in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third story shalt thou make it. Now, you know, it's interesting to realize that Noah was obedient to undertake a daunting task. I mean, a, a daunting task. Building this ark was a absolute miracle in and of itself. He and his three sons commenced with its building the very moment that they had received instruction and gotten the supply list fulfilled. Piece by piece, they assembled this monstrosity of a boat. And they did it in plain view of their family, their friends, their countrymen, their neighbors, and everyone, right out in the middle of everything. One can only imagine the bewilderment of those that were watching. To think as they viewed this, what in the world are they doing? I mean, you have to understand that there was only dry ground. 
They weren't building it by a lake. They weren't building it on an ocean front. They weren't building it in the midst of a world that had experienced a lot of rain. At that point, we believe that it's possible that it hadn't even rained up to that point. And here they are building this massive boat structure, this huge ark, if you will, that God had told them to. As a matter of fact, it would be the largest ship in history up until the late 1800s. Can you imagine the intrigue and the interest of his countrymen and women as they watch on, as he and his family drag these huge pieces of gopher wood, as they find themselves assembling and putting it together piece by piece? I mean, that group would have gathered, but I believe at some point, it wouldn't be long after, that they would turn from an interested group to literally a mob that simply expressed mocking, jeering, and making fun of Noah and his children. They're making fun of them now. They're laughing. <laughs> what an idiot. How stupid. Are you, you are such a fanatic. What is your problem? Oh, you say God speaks to you, huh? Can you only imagine the things that were said to them? For 120 years, mind you, they're building this ark. How would have everything turned out? How would everything have turned out if Moses wouldn't have been faithful to the end? You know what? You and I may not actually be here if he didn't. I mean, if everybody was destroyed, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It seems to me that we probably wouldn't be here today. Do you know the Greeks... They had a race in their Olympic Games that was very unique. It was very unusual and different. The winner was not the runner who finished first in the race. It was the runner who finished with his torch still lit. Boy, Noah faithfully and consistently continued building this ark for 120 years. He kept that torch lit. And amidst all the jeering and the, all the crowd that made fun of him and mocked him, maligned and mistreated him, he kept it burning and he kept faithful. May I say today that his ministry was more public than probably yours or mine? Can I tell you that he was a subjecting himself to, to mankind in a way that you and I will never probably have to? In America where we have freedom to preach and to teach the word of God in our churches as well as on the streets, may I say that we are protected by the rights that we have so far in this country? He didn't have those rights. And I can tell you this, he stood tall and he kept the fire burning to the very end. For 120 years, after all those years of toil, torment, and testing, the rain fell. Nobody expected it to happen. Nobody understood why he was doing what he was doing. We knock on a door and people are like, what are they doing out here? The discomfort lasts for a mere few seconds. His went on for 120 years. We build our churches and we preach the gospel and certain people will say, what in the world are they doing? We say, well, we're, we're preparing for Jesus Christ's return. We want to honor the king, the creator of all the universe. And they say, out of their minds, off their rockers. Don't have a clue what life's really about. They've lost sight of reality. 
They're fanatics. Can I tell you the rain came? 120 years later, but it came. Listen, don't be discouraged if you're misunderstood. Don't allow the devil to deceive you into believing somehow that maybe you are on the wrong path. It's funny how narrow the path gets and how broad the Broadway becomes the closer we get to his return. I think of Noah and the ark. Not only that, but I think about Jesus Christ on the cross. After being betrayed with a kiss, the Savior's placed on trial by a crooked court. Can you imagine that? The creator of all the universe, the judge of all the universe is now being tried by a group of men, a men who were corrupt, self-serving, and plain sinners. They hire these men to come in and, and lie on the stand in order to condemn him. They had nothing really against it. They had no real evidence. All they had were the lies that people came up with. Ultimately, they were, he was sentenced to death by crucifixion. And the news may have delighted the doctors of the law and the lawyers of his day, but what they didn't know was that they were playing into his hand that he had already foreordained, that he had predetermined, this is the course that I would take. So I guess the joke was on them. After enduring the pain of having his beard plucked out, the crown of thorns crushed upon his head, the malicious beatings and the endless mocking, he's now forced to take an exhausting journey, bearing his cross before a jeering crowd. He finds his way to Golgotha, the place of the skull, where there he's nailed to a cross. And there he's lifted up naked between heaven and earth before the onlookers. There in humiliation and shame, in the midst of the suffering and agony, he bears the greatest of all burdens, the sin of the world. The Bible says in John 19, 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Aren't you glad that Jesus was faithful to the end? I mean, aren't you glad that he didn't pull up stakes and say, you know what, fellas, I, I, I was doing good until I realized you were going to misrepresent my words. I was doing fine until you brought in those liars to, 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 to the court and, and you, you've lied about my life and you've lied about what I've said and, and, and you've misrepresented me. I quit. I'm done. I'm finished. I can't handle this getting stuck in the back with a knife. I can't handle that some of my friends have betrayed me. I can't stand that one of them even came and gave me a kiss and sold me out for 30 pieces of silver. I was okay up to that point, but I'm done now. Maybe he could have said, well, I was fine through the trial and everything was going good till they plucked my beard out, till they stuck that crown of thorns on my head, till they whipped me with that cat of nine tails. Everything was going fine. I can endure it up to that point, but I'm done. I'm finished now. Maybe it was all the way through until finally he had to carry that cross up Golgotha's hill until finally they nailed his hands and feet and he said, hold it, put a stop to it right now. I'm done, I renounce my God, I renounce my deity, I renounce it all, I'm done, I'm finished. But he didn't. 
he waited till he was on that cross and he was prepared to take his last breath and he cried, it is finished. Not I'm finished, but it is finished. I'm glad he finished what he started. I'm glad he was faithful to the end because surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Boy, I'm glad that he was faithful to the end. I think of the Apostle Paul. Turn to 2 Timothy 4, 8, 4, 6 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. What a powerful passage this is. We find him coming to the end of his life now. He's going to make some closing statements. We are given the privilege of reading them now. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I wonder when he realized he was ready. You ever thought about that with the Apostle Paul? Throughout his writings, he's always telling them, you know what, if it was up to me, I'd be in heaven, but for your sake, I'm going to stick around. It's better for you that I remain here, but honestly, I'm ready to go. But in this particular case now, obviously, he's gotten word, and he says, for I am now ready to be offered. I think he would have been ready to be offered a lot earlier. And the time of my departure now is at hand. That's the key right there. He knows it's his time. He knows God's ready for him. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Paul, in this passage, was the one who was at one point called Saul. You, you know how it went. He was the great persecutor of the church. In Acts chapter 8, we find that to be the case. He may have been responsible for bringing great havoc upon the church at one point in his life. But following his conversion, oh boy, things changed, didn't they? Now he's in, he's in a position where he is igniting Christianity throughout the empire and around the world. He would be referred to as the apostle of the Gentiles. And he would become the pen that God would use to write 13 of the New Testament books and possibly 14 if he wrote the book of Hebrews. Without doubt, Paul considered it an honor to be used of God in such a mighty way. However, let me tell you this, and you already know this, I would imagine, his successes were not realized without great hardship. We've read it not long ago, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, turn there, would you? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 28. <clears throat> Note what he endured. Note what he had to put up with and what he struggled with along the journey. Second 
2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 28. The Bible says, and they minister, uh, are they ministers of Christ? <laughs> I speak as a fool. I am more. Now listen, somebody might say, well, Paul seems to be pretty stuck on himself. What we're going to find is in this passage, he, he's kind of, again, laying down his credentials. He's trying to help people understand where he came from and what he's been up through, at what he's been through, and why indeed his writings as well as his ministry should have authority. He says, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in death oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. You know, i got to believe that Paul could have easily justified quitting or giving up based on what he endured. I mean, if anybody else had gone through what Paul the Apostle has gone through in our day, and our age, we'd be the first to say, it's time to retire, my friend. You probably ought to take it a little easy. You ought to back off just a little bit. Let somebody else stand in the heat. Let somebody else endure the fire. Let somebody else. But not the Apostle Paul. Nope, not him. No, the Apostle Paul simply makes it clear I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. He stayed faithful to the very, very end. His motto could be found in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He was faithful to the end. What would Christianity look like without the Apostle Paul's investment and influence? What would it look like? I don't know. But I do know what it does look like today because of it. You know, as children of God, our reservation is secure tonight. I'm glad that I don't have to labor for my life in the hereafter. I'm glad that my salvation is secure in Christ Jesus. I'm glad that I'm kept by the power of God and not my own power. I'm thankful that my salvation doesn't rely on my goodness or my good deeds. But simply as we sung earlier or heard sung, the blood of Jesus Christ his ultimate sacrifice on Calvary for my sin and the sin of the world. But although our reservation is secure, we cannot allow ourselves to forget about the judgment seat that awaits us. See, it's not enough to start strong. We have to finish strong too. It was 7 p.m. on October the 20th, 1968. 
Only a few spectators remained in the Olympic Stadium in Mexico City. I mean, the winner of the 26-mile marathon had crossed the finish line more than an hour ago, and now the last of the marathon runners were across the finish line and leaving the track. As the last few spectators began to file out of the stadium, those sitting by the entrance suddenly heard the sound of sirens. One last runner appeared in the distance. The man, whose leg was bloody and bandaged, was wearing the colors of Tanzania. I practiced this country name, I promise you that. Tanzania. There it is. He was wearing the colors of Tanzania. The Tanzanian runner, he experienced intense pain. And in that intense pain, he hobbled around the 400-meter track in the stadium as those few remaining spectators stood to their feet and began to applaud as though he was going to win the race. After crossing the finish line and slowly walking off the field without even turning to the cheering spectators. He just simply slipped away. One spectator did finally grab hold of him, though, caught up to him. And he went to that Tanzanian runner and he he asked him simply this, Why didn't you quit? Why didn't you stop running? Why didn't you quit the race? That Tanzanian runner said this, Sir, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start the race, but sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. I don't know when you came to Christ. I don't have the date. Only you probably know that. But what I do know is that God did not save you simply to begin running. He didn't save you to simply begin the race. He saved you to finish the race. Although you may stumble along the way, Although you may endure many hardships, get back up on your feet and keep on running. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We need to make it to the finish line. We need to run right on through the tape, so to speak, if indeed we hope to ever receive the rewards that the Lord Jesus Christ has promised us. 2 John 1.8 again says, Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. It's not enough to finish strong. It's not enough to simply be saved and start on this journey and finally give up and turn to the right or the left. we got to stay on track and we got to stay in the race. The Lord didn't save us simply to start but to finish it. It's not what you've done before He returns, but what you're doing when He returns that matters most. 
If the Lord came today, what would you be doing? If he comes tomorrow, what will you be doing? If he comes in a year from now, what will you be doing? Young people, don't throw away your Christian life. I'm not saying that you can lose your salvation, but my friend, let me tell you something, young people. How many young people have chosen to go a different direction at some point in their life, feeling that they're missing out on the best that life has to offer? I want you to never forget that he is coming back. It's, It's not how you start, and it's not even what you've done. It's what you're doing when he returns that matters. What are you going to be doing when he returns? What will we be doing? God, help us to be faithful to the end. Faithful to the end. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the simplicity of your word. We thank you, Father, for just the fact that we have a great hope, a blessed hope. We're looking forward to your return We're thanking you for the salvation that's ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you that our salvation is bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, by his sacrifice on Calvary. But Lord, may we not get so lax, so so lethargic that we forget that we are to be in a race. May we not be content to simply be saved. May we have a desire to finish strong, to be faithful to the end, May we be doing what we ought to be doing when you come back. We'll thank you and praise you for it. And Lord, if there be any that are without your son, Jesus Christ, that have yet to receive and accept him as Savior, Lord, they can't get to heaven without his broken body, without his shed blood. They can't find their way into paradise, eternal paradise in your presence without his saving work in their life. Holy Spirit, bring conviction. Father, may we find that hearts are tender to your word and willing to receive and accept your son tonight for the believer today. May we ensure that we are faithful to the end. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand.